We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and today we're going to talk some defense. With the Lakers' recent switch to Anthony Davis at the five, that causes a whole chain reaction on both sides of the ball on where you just kind of have to do things differently. And this morning, D, you and I were messaging each other, kind of talking about the nature of this. And one of the arguments I made, which I brought up in the last pod, is that Many of our lineups, I, I think I wouldn't go so far as to say that all of them, especially when LeBron is around, but this is a smaller team than last year that's less physical, especially amongst the players that can, that amongst our best players, right? And so the nature of Frank Vogel's defense is to always chase over the top of screens and funnel toward the bigs down low. As I said yesterday, right? We're not going to let you get anything from behind the three-point line. I think of the Houston series in the bubble where they were shooting 50, 60 threes against everyone else and we had them in the in the low to mid-30s for most of that series. Not going to give you that three-point shot. And we're going to chase you into these bigs with these great wingspans that can leap up in the air and you got, you're going to have to make a shot over them. If you pull up from 15... That's fine. You're going to have to deal with the back pressure of Alex Caruso or KCP or whomever's chasing over the top. If we need to make a weak side rotation, even if it's a bench unit, you're crashing into Markeith Morris, who's a very physical player in and of himself. We have several guys like that. Kyle Kuzma's six foot nine and, you know, 225. So you have bigger players able to, when you funnel them into the paint, players into the paint, they're colliding and meeting up with bigger players. That's no longer the case, D. With this particular roster. And I think that with going smaller, containment, keeping guys in front of us becomes more important. Anthony Davis spoke to that with the 2-3 zone that we switched to in the third quarter that was very successful for us. So talk to me your thoughts on this idea of containment versus funneling. So let me say this. Containment was super important in 2019-20 and 2021-2. Right. And so containment's uh, a critical part of any basket of any defensive scheme. 
And so Vogel's idea of funneling is that's what you want. You want to get people off of the line and you want to sort of push them towards help. What made the Lakers defense special over the last couple of years wasn't just that they funneled to effective help. It was that they had some defenders who could close out, slide, and contain still, Mm -hmm. right? And so I don't want to lose that idea entirely that you can't play Vogel's scheme and contain. What we're really talking about are... It's a different manner of containment, right? Like, so put containment aside. I mean, funneling versus keeping guards in front of you. Yes, well... Keeping guards in front of you is a lot of times going to come down to how good are you at defense in general. And the Lakers don't have a lot of good perimeter defensive talent. And so I would argue that going to some of the junk is sort of like a pejorative at times. But I thought the Bulls played junk defense against the Lakers as well. But that wasn't it, it's basically just sort of like non-standard look, stuff that you are maybe like this is more opponent specific or even something that isn't a normal style of of playing. I think the Lakers do need to junk it up more. I think they do need to play more zone. I think they do need to find ways to protect their guards a little bit more. And that idea of containment is super important, Pete. And so I don't want to diminish the idea or go totally off track What the Lakers need to do is find ways to keep their guards in front of the players that they're asked to stay in front of. Not many of them are good at getting over screens and recovering. Only a couple of them are good at getting over screens and providing any sort of back pressure because they're not very big to to begin with. A lot of things that teams are doing, too, when the Lakers play man defense is that they are because of. Because of the current construction, Anthony Davis has been asked to guard. He had to guard Giannis one night, and the night before, he had to guard DeMar DeRozan, right? And so he's being put in positions where he's guarding lead ball handler types, and those teams are just going in screening him and saying, yeah, okay, Wayne Ellington, hedge and recover. On Giannis. On Giannis. (laughs) Or, Or... Hey, Carmelo Anthony, switch. Switch on to DeMar DeRozan. Switch yep. on to Giannis. And these are things that are happening, and suddenly DeMar DeRozan has 40 points, or Giannis has damn near 50, and it's just like, yeah, Anthony Davis. Ugh, you can't beat Defensive Player of the Year. And it's just like, did y'all even watch the shit that's happening? He's not. not even there on right. a lot of these possessions. So... There is change that needs to happen, Pete. There are things that Vogel needs to... One of the things that you've been talking to me about is like living on the fringes or outside of your comfort zone a little bit more. And Vogel, Mike, Vogel is rightly protective of what he has built as as an identity as a head coach and what his schemes are. He won a championship playing with the team that was in front of him, playing that style and playing to his strengths and the melding of his strengths and philosophies as a coach and his roster strengths was there was no space in the Venn diagram. It was two circles sitting on top of each other. So I understand him being protective of that. And 
I think he needs to have that pitch in his bag. And I don't think Pete is arguing different to that. But there is a certain amount of flexibility from a night to night basis. I think that's going to be important for him. He showed it against the Bucks, and, and so what are you seeing defensively? Because your vantage points are different from Pete and mine's, right? We're on our couches from TV angles. You're in the arena. Some a lot of times just on the sideline. The floor view is quite a different view than the bird's eye view that we are seeing. So what are you seeing from the team's defense? And and what did you think about some of the zone looks that the team went to against the Bucks? Yeah, it is. It is a different perspective. But what what usually what I'm usually doing is I have a monitor in front of me. So it's the same screen that you guys do, although it's it's small. And then the court in this case in Milwaukee is like, you know, 20 feet in front of me. So I was about. I was about 10 feet away from from LeBron, who was on the end of the bench. And it just comes at you faster there, especially if it's on that side of the court. Um, and But what I often do is I'll, I'll watch the play live in the court, and then I'll kind of refer to the monitor, and hopefully there's a replay um, if I missed it. And what's really helpful is that you guys will be texting me a lot of times and seeing things that I don't see, right? And, and this is the same way sometimes that it works with a play-by-play guy and an analyst, where the play-by-play guy almost has to watch the monitor a little bit more with certain vantage points. And then the analyst is watching more of the big picture. Um, like Stu is watching the whole court uh, in, in that context, but defensively, I mean, so I, I asked a couple questions post game to both AD and Vogel about it. And AD's point was one that we've been talking about a lot where teams are pulling him out to the perimeter uh, because they switch a lot of their pick and rolls and what's left behind him is small. And, and teams know that because teams scout the Lakers and break them down. They're like, all right, well, AD's playing at the five. Here's what we're going to do. They we're going to bring his, too. yeah, we're going to bring his ass away from the rim. And if you have LeBron James or the theory of Trevor Ariza, right. Or one of those players that's there on the backside or in the past, Markeith Morris, right. Like somebody, somebody like that in this, then those guys can still take away the advantage at the rim. And you're not going to be able to get what you want. And those guys can rebound. But the Lakers haven't had that personnel. And Frank Vogel at a certain point decided, nonetheless, we just we have to go small because of offense and because of Russ and because of the spacing that it's going to get. And because eventually we hope that we're going to be able to get there once the personnel comes in. And THT has at least given them close enough to an approximation uh, approximation of that. But, you know, I still have questions. And I, I think the easiest thing to do is just direct this back to Pete uh, about the sustainability of this and, and also just changing the concept of this team, which I think is, is difficult in general, but especially difficult for Vogel who won a title playing a certain way does have his two main pieces back. And since there's no roster continuity, at least you could theoretically have some continuity of scheme, some continuity of, and that, that is basically had to get thrown away. So now they're building this whole new thing on the fly and it's just, uh, it's, it's not been easy. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about a lot of that sudden change. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, 
and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com slash LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. Are you looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic? Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code FILMROOM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code FILMROOM. I had a chuckle earlier in this week, Mike, where I think it was on Sunday when we played the Timberwolves and had that crap game. And so on Sunday, Avery Bradley started at the four. On Monday, we got to watch Alex Caruso as a Chicago Bull. And on Tuesday, Staples became Crypto.com Arena. Is that what it is now? In the midst of this season where we have this completely different roster, there's been so much sudden change that what we're even talking about in the on-court X's and O's stuff of this thing that you just won a title with 13 months ago is in many ways the exact opposite of what the strengths of your current players are. And there is a broader conversation to be had about why change. That's an entire pod, right? And we've talked about this some as we've texted, but I think we should have a pod about it at some point, which is not to say that it's the right decision to change, but I think getting into some of the rationale behind it, uh, that's not what's on my mind right now, though, is it is that on court, how do we get the most out of this team? And where where are the places where Vogel needs to adapt his philosophies? And to his credit, he's made the pace over the last several games. The pace of change has been really significant, right? They are pulling AD out of the paint. And not only are the guys behind him small, they're unathletic. It's Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony, who is not small. But if Giannis wants to just go over the top of him, there's nothing Melo's going to be able to do. He, about there that. was the one play where Giannis kind of, AD kind of got back screen. And Melo, did you see Melo kind of just took a step to his left and like sort of yeah, put his Yeah, it was like, ole, yeah. It was just like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying, Mike, is like, just think about that in concept. Like, say you never watch the game and be like, all right. Anthony Davis is going to be on the perimeter defensively in a lineup with Malik Monk as the low man and Carmelo Anthony, strong side. And I forget the other, I think Rondo was on the floor at the time. And part of this is the, like there are guys that won't be playing when we get a couple of guys healthy, you know, or at least just LeBron that plays into it too. But the point to me is that if we have to play Anthony Davis with four guards, we have to be very intentional about that, or this is going to be a huge weakness. Number one, Anthony Davis has to be around the basket at all times. That's one of the values of the zone is that if you could just pull him away from the hoop, he might contest that mid-range jumper from Drew Holiday, and because he contested it, it's off. But that means that Bobby Portis is now banging with Malik Monk. We're never going to win that. Or... 
you get a flat angle bo- uh, step up screen on AD, and now Giannis is euroing around Monk and Melo, right? Like those things, and so. When we have the bigger players, we will be able to drop more. But in the absence of them, it's just like, that's where I'm at, D, is that some of the stuff defensively with the guys that we have right now, and it sucks for Vogel. It really sucks, right, to have this available personnel that keeping guys in front and out of the paint, that is how smaller lineups, like we're not the first team to ever go small. When you look at the teams that have been successful at that, it's been about shutting down the ability to get to the rim in the first place. It's If we can't dominate the vertical plane, we're going to dominate the horizontal plane with our speed, and we haven't been able to, to do that for, for a variety of factors. But part of that is that dropping by nature is a funneling coverage. And if you're funneling people into the paint when you're small, you're going to get burned. Yeah, there is a lot to chew on for Frank Vogel. And I'm sure that the film room has not been kind to him. Um, Not you, Pete, but the actual film room. Please Um, don't ever call me that as a like, what's that fourth person? Yeah, don't ever call me that. (laughs) Just in my phone. That's how you're labeled. Um, So the tape has not been kind to a lot of players. And I'm sure Frank Vogel is trying to learn, trying to figure it out and trying to sort through it. And it's always an iffy proposition when you are put in a position where the thing that you really want to work and the thing that you know you're good at doing yeah, or the thing that you're good at teaching that these pupils aren't necessarily going to get it as a full group. I always make the analogy of like, you know, Vogel's been teaching Spanish for the last couple of years. And now it's like, now you're a French teacher and like you get some of it, but like, that's a big ask. The thing is though, is that he got to bring three of his students from a Spanish class Mm. over to French with Mm -hmm. him, which I think is a point that Mike was talking about. Right. Which and so there's some familiarity there. You've got LeBron James and you've got Anthony Davis and you're just like, okay, oh, well, look, you gave me a you gave me a sort of three and D sort of hybrid forward guy. Oh, but he hasn't played yet. Oh, you gave me a couple of bigs like, oh, okay, well, I can those sort of look like. Right. Like these are all Latin based languages. Right. They, they sort of look alike. <laughs> yeah. If you squint, DeAndre Jordan can, you know, we can talk ourselves into be, him being JaVale. Right. right? Yeah. If right? you understand right. Spanish, you can understand Italian a little bit. Yeah. yeah right. And, and so there was I think that there is a a letting go a little bit that mm. needs to happen from all sides. Right. Yeah. I think Frank Vogel needs to let go a little bit. And go into some uncomfortable places as a head coach. I think his players need to let go of some of their habits. We talked about Russell Westbrook, the last pod, about his decision-making offensively, right? And sort of that that scaling back and that narrowing down and that decision that possession-to-possession decision-making about pull-up jumper versus pull-it back versus swing it out, versus, right? And that sort of big-picture view of scenario planning that happens at well at that level some of that they the players need to do that stuff defensively for themselves too like on the court right and it's playing defense is hard it's harder than playing offense it's why a lot of players don't like to do it it's Mm -hmm. why right there's like this whole move towards offensive basketball and one of the reasons why is because look defense is like first of all the rules don't cater to you some of that's came back to the league this this year which i think certain players are definitely enjoying the Mm -hmm. guys who aren't are the offensive players 
who aren't getting the same calls, right? But this idea of, okay, well, how can we move in in that direction to extract the most out of the defensive talent available? Some of that is learning and understanding and then implementing around the limitations of the players who you have available to you, right? And I've talked about this a lot on the pod and in our text threads, like the through line between these players isn't a through line at all. It looks like Lombard Street in San Francisco, right? Where it's curve after curve after curve to connect all of these dots together into making it a congruent defensive scheme. And so maybe playing more zone is the answer. I know you can't switch all the time because you put Malik Monk in a situation where, yeah, instead of Wayne Ellington trying to hedge and recover, then he's just going to get switched on to Giannis. You don't want that either. Right. And so just like you don't want AD getting screened high, you want him near, well, near the basket. And okay, so then we can't drop against the Bucks. It turns out the Lakers probably should have played a bunch of zone against the Bucks almost the entire game. But now against another team, maybe it's not going to be as much zone. It's a different equation. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be a, a more of a drop scheme against this, this team. And so having all of those pitches in your bag is super important to any head coach who thinks he wants to win the championship. Right. Which this head coach does. He wants to win the championship. But finding the defensive scheme that's going to work night, night in and night out is like such a broad thing that he's going to have to rein in and wrap his arms arms around. And so to a certain extent, it does suck for for Frank Vogel. I still think, though, that this is part of the job. Maybe it's not even possible, but it's part of what the job is. Where do you stand on some of this stuff, Mike? I was just thinking about AD in the zone and just how much that sucks when you're the other team and you're, you know, you're, you're sort of get, he's allowed to stay in that range, right? Kind of in the middle of the paint and you can't actually get him out of there. And you just have to shoot jump shots, including Giannis, uh, who was able to contest a couple times in there. So I, that's fascinating to me, what you can actually build out of that. And then what LeBron could add to that kind of a set. So I, I almost want to just pause on that uh, see see if you had any AD in the zone thoughts, Pete. Yeah, th- I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up in that, like, what are the reasons coaches go to zone? I can speak to this a, a little bit. And it, it's funny, the phrasing of junking it up. I want to zero in on this for a moment, right? Coaches, as you know, Mike, they are men of principle. Like Frank Vogel can walk you through every element of the footwork, the rationale for the footwork, every nanosecond of his defensive scheme. There's a rationale behind it. There's an he could write a thesis paper about every individual part of it. And collectively, like the level of knowledge on what you do in every single scenario, he is as good as his, uh, uh, in this generation, of a defensive coach at coaching his scheme, right? Like he's... The detail is exquisite. From a broader perspective, though, a coach like that, like, so he has he has belief in his system, and rightfully so. There are different schools of thought within basketball and different arguments for every individual decision. Like, it's that game of whack-a-mole where, oh, you went a little smaller, but now you're giving up more offensive rebounds. How do you account for that, right? Every decision you make on the court has, you're giving something else up in exchange for getting something better. So the phrase junking it up is one I have often heard from at coaches clinics and my past in the coach. There are two main schools of thought. A coach like Frank Vogel. So here's the thing about zones. Zones, you are on purpose. You are giving up certain shots. 
Like, let's just zero in on that idea for just a quick moment, Mike. For a Frank Vogel coach team is going to be like, you know what? That wing three, you go ahead and take that. That is so against the beliefs of Frank Vogel defensively of we're not giving you shit out there. We're going to heat you up. We're going to pressure you, chase you off the line. We're going to give up a wing three is really against that. But with our current personnel, with AD, AD is our big guy, and he is the guy that is the great eraser. He is the guy that can take two things away at the same time in the same way that I described in yesterday's episode about how Giannis did that on the first play. So keeping him around the rim, when he, especially when he's surrounded by all those other small guys, becomes super important. It's also zones, and let's take a break after this. The zones are a great rhythm breaker. I want to talk about them in that context when we get back from the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The thing about NBA defense is it's not just one thing. We're not going to play zone all game. We we're we don't drop the entire game, right? I've talked about the drops. We're not going to switch. You have to do. You have to kind of cater to the strengths of the defense, right? Or uh, I'm sorry, of the opponent, and contour that to what they do well. So with a guy like Giannis, he is the game's preeminent put pressure on the rim guy. He's the very best player in the league at putting pressure at the front of the rim, and so that becomes more of a priority and what what i what i saw in that second quarter in particular where we fell where where we fell behind is they kept beating us with the same ball screen actions with Giannis as the ball handler right or and he got a couple of transition buckets as well but the nature of zone versus man is like you beat a zone with passing and being in the right spots, but not with dribble attacks. You can't, it's very difficult to beat zones off the dribble. There are ways to do it, but it's not the primary way of doing that. And whenever you see, we see, we've seen a lot of zone from opponents as well. 
there is a certain amount of like your man offense just doesn't work against a zone. That's not to say it's not impenetrable and you can't beat the zone. You just have to go about it in a different way. We had one play where they played zone against us. I was so happy we came out of a timeout out because zones have been kicking our ass this year. And we put Russell Westbrook on the nail and then we get a high low a seal for now Dwight Howard has a post seal on Drew Holiday. Way too big for Holiday. Gets a layup out of that. So anyway, that's a long way of saying that Zones just being a pitch, it's that curveball, it's that secondary pitch, just to break rhythm. I don't want to see teams scoring on the same action three, four plays in a row. That's the time to really throw it in. And against teams that can put a ton of pressure on the rim when we're small, I'd argue that it should almost be our base coverage. Yeah, man. I keep going back to how do you protect the players who need protecting. A zone defense is like, I don't know, man. It's like a good biscuit, right? There's like too many layers there's so many layers to it that you can't really get through it very easily. And I think that that's the point about slowing down the dribble penetration, right? It's just like there are waves and waves of guys who are just in front of you all of the time. And the rotations are sort of paint by numbers to a certain extent. When That's it comes helpful to with defense. our players, too, is we got a couple guys that have recognition. THT and Russ are guys especially that just give them the same rotations. And yeah, well, I thought this a lot about. This is an interesting comp to the 2009 Lakers. Lamar Odom was a habitual overhelper as a <laughs> defensive player. Uh-huh. And one of the things that the Lakers... Darius, can you say the word habitual without thinking of line stubber? <laughs> no, I no, can't. I, cannot, I, I thought because, the same no. thing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I cannot. I'm about to <laughs> wriggle some uh, boots into someone's couch right now. So Odom, what the Lakers did is they adopted a lot of the philosophies that Tom Thibodeau had had exploited against those same Lakers teams the year before. And Kurt Rambis was just like, all right, well, you're going to do this with KG and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce and Tony Allen and James Posey, right, and P.J. Brown? Well, I'm going to do it with Pal Gasol and Andrew Bynum and... Lamar Odom and Trevor Ariza, Mm -hmm. right? And so he went to a lot of strong side zone principles. And one of the things that the strong side zone did is that it made your help very deliberate. And it put you in positions to help almost immediately within the context. So there was less decision making that was going to happen, at least in the initial part of a possession where you weren't out there freelancing. It was very much like, oh, you're a habitual overhelper? Well, here, I'm going to show you. This is where you help. Stand yeah. right over here. Welcome. It's very simple. Yes. Right? And so that was strong side zone principles within the structure of a man defense. What the Lakers are doing is they need to protect more guys. It's not that they have guys who are overhelpers. They've got guys who can't navigate screens all of that well and can't get over the top and then can't recover and then can't make this read into that read and then flow and then at the end finish a possession by boxing out and then they just don't have those instincts nor do they or they don't have the physical tools or it's a combination of both with some of the players and that's just what it is right and winning more of these defensive possessions is going to be super important It just is like the Lakers. We've talked about this a ton, but the Lakers want to be a running team on offense. You can't run if you don't get stops. It's dumb to think it needs to be any other way. Now, accomplishing the stops is the hard part. When you have limited defensive 
personnel. Like, mm-hmm. and this is where we go back to Vogel's problems, Mike. It's it's this idea of all right, well, how can I find the thing that is going to work for Wayne Ellington and Malik Monk and this guy and that guy and this other guy when like oh these guys are fast but this dude's slow what do we do oh like this guy's big but this other guy's small so what do we do and it's just like and now and and i need enough offense on the court too because our point guard needs the space right and so what do we do what do we do what do we do and so much of it is learning and the puzzle is so much more complex it went from one of those like puzzles you give your two-year-old mike like it's it's like the difference between the puzzle you give the rigs and the stadium puzzle that you bought for your twins. It's just like, yeah, these are two different levels. The puzzle's much more complicated now for Frank Vogel. And I empathize with him for sure for that reason. One thing that I think we haven't covered too much here that will be more of our, our typical tease for a longer episode that we won't have time to actually record. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so bear with us, but the bigs, other than AD, Dwight and DeAndre, you know, have have not had their best years mm. for <laughs> and for where they're at in their careers. And so there's just so much pressure to me moving forward on AD as that one just eraser at the rim. And yes, LeBron can do it at times, but you don't want him doing that for 82 or even for a whole playoff series. And who else is going to do that? And when you can't go at some point, I'm not talking about starting. Okay. But at some point when you can't just stack another big guy out there, it can still be valuable at, at times, but I, that's, that's a different worry that I have with this. And so, yes, you can junk things up and, and Pete uh, apologies to the phrasing. I, I totally get that. And I, I am, I've heard it a million times that coaches say that so no no yes. no need to apologize all i'm saying is that that is indicative of a school of thought correct like yes. and like and whereas ad said we're gonna keep people in front of us isn't that a much nicer way of describing yes. his own like saying you're yes. gonna junk it up is like ah this is bs we gotta yeah, kind of it, exactly. it's never gonna work long term and i'm saying is that it's a valid look for us you know yeah, what I mean? it, it doesn't have to be like darius said or it doesn't have to be a pejorative like it, it right. doesn't have to be something that's that's a bad thing or or like a, a bad word but there I, that's where I'm still looking at what is the real base concept of this group fully healthy going to be that sustains you through the season and through playoff rounds. And without having some more of that, just true tried and true rim protection uh, that you can also get away with on the other end and playing that style. It, it, I I'm still having trouble pulling all of those pieces together, but I'm seeing some progress uh, in the, the things that we've discussed today um, as they start to try and figure all that out. Yeah, I think it's going to be super lineup specific. I think that most of the lineups that we put out there, there's going to be one coverage that will be easily their best coverage. And then the other ones that we like to run will be very much a bad idea. So, for example, with THT's emergence, we've got Russ. Let's say Talon starts the whole year, just for argument's sake. We've got four starters then written in pen at that point. Russ, THT, LeBron, and AD. All five of those guys, or all four of those guys, have the tools to switch. Like THT and Russ are big guards that can hold their own, that have some degree of strength. AD and LeBron have incredible foot speed, right? And 
that said, their next best coverage, I would say, would be the drops. The concern with that is that it puts THT and Russ in more of those off-ball recognition recognition scenarios. That's why I think switching with that group is a superior option because you make them, they have to make fewer reads of that nature and they have the physical capabilities to execute it. But we absolutely have lineups that can run the drops well too, right? I just think that there are fewer of them and with such a burden being put on AD, like you said, is that... If the other guys on the court can't answer the demands of the drop coverages, then the drop coverages is what needs to go for that particular group. And that doesn't mean that the drops can't even be the main thing that we do. I think in a lot of respects, especially when Trevor comes back alongside LeBron, you can do that. It's also one of the reasons what you said about DJ and Dwight. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Trevor comes back and he's kind of a four five option. I think that Trevor may end up being one of our five options in switching type of lineups. So there are all sorts of places that this can go. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, have an early one today. We've got Boston tonight. Then on Sunday, I believe it is, we've got the Detroit Pistons. We'll be back on Monday to cover all of it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, it's over. And shot clock now to five. Ryan. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.